Hello, and welcome to the Strength to be Human podcast with your host, author and playwright Mark Anthony Rossi. This show explores all forms of creativity for those searching for meaning and a place in the world. To err is human, but so is to love. Now, without further ado, here's your host. Hi, folks. This is Mark Anthony Rossi, host of Strength to Be Human. This is episode number 57. We're back to the classic classic Spotlight uh, series, and this one on James Baldwin. Now, I, I know some of you might know of him, but we have a lot in the international audience that might not be familiar with him. So James Baldwin was an African-American writer, and he was uh, deeply rooted in the civil rights movement during the time of when he really became popular in the uh, late 50s on into the until the 1970s. So he's a very, very interesting character, and let's talk about, about what he's done, okay? All right, well, one of the first things that James Baldwin uh, did was he wrote an important book, uh, Go Tell It's in the Mountain. It's sort of like so like how the gospel flavor to it. it had a lot about to do from the South, because that's where James Bolton had came from. But you'll you'll learn later on that he's he wind up uh, becoming successful enough in his writings and his, in his novels uh, that he also um, lived in France, where uh, he got more respect as a writer and of course a lot more respect as as a black man, because in America during that time that was a real harsh thing with him. Also, James Bolton had the the extra situation of being gay. So he was both black and gay and a writer and, and pushing uh, the civil rights movement. So that, that put a whole lot of uh, pressure on this guy in, in all kinds of different directions. And he, he kept up with uh, all the important politicians during that time to try to uh, uh, push uh, civil rights. Uh, Martin Luther King and, and Malcolm X and, and many of the, the officials... Uh, in the various organizations during that time. Of course, he was also big in the arts, and he knew lots of lots of important artists that were also involved in that. Um, Miles Davis, who, who visited him a lot in France when, when he was uh, playing his jazz over there. Um, the actors, uh, Herbert Balinfante and, and Sidney Poitier, they were very uh, popular visiting there in, in, in New York. And he knew uh, the playwright, Lorraine Hainsbury, you know, um, Raising in the Sun. So he, he was really popular with many of the people that were doing uh, important work uh, back then in all different arts and, and, and political fields. Um, I was always fascinated with him, even though I, I'm not African-American, uh, from my early childhood because of my parents and, and their involvement in the union and, and, and in civil rights. So we knew a bit about him and what he had, what he had done. I always found um, he, he had two two books that really had an impact on me. I read Native Son, which was written by uh, Richard Wright, so is is about uh, you know um, a, a slave and, and 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 the cruel life that he had during during in the South. But um, James Baldwin he wrote Notes of a Native Son, and he was trying to write about the condition of the black man in, in the late 50s and early 60s and how there were still some similarities to slave days and then there was some, you know, some moments and some minutes of progress and when he wanted to go forward with that. So that notes of the neighbor's son, that really got me to uh, making those comparisons and, and, and artistically where that book went. It, it was a real eye-opener. 
But his uh, his most fascinating book for me until to this day is uh, a book of, of essays. And he called it essays, but I, to me it seemed like one large essay, to be honest with you. It was called The Fire Next Time. And I think it had to uh, reference the Bible and, and how um, God had said, you know, after, uh, you know, he flooded the world and killed everybody except for Noah and, and his family, uh, that the next time that the world would end through fire. So I think uh, he was making the allusion to that and to the fact that, you know, uh, without any real uh, progress or solution to, to the race issue in, in, in America, you know, that's where we're all heading and into a, 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 just a big fire of, of ruining our republic and, and destroying any, any kind of freedoms. Because you can't, you can't be in a land of free and, and have a portion of your population not free. That doesn't really make a lot of sense. You know, it's it's worse than Orwell's, you know, world, if you think about it that way. And that, that's always been America. We've always had that issue since our, since our founding that this never got resolved. And even, even when we thought the Civil War had finally resolved that, it really didn't because uh, so many um, of the laws were put into place to harm people. They couldn't vote. They couldn't own property. They couldn't marry. All these things, even after the Civil War was over with. So, you know, it literally took a, a second you know, uh, almost the second civil war, the civil rights movement to to really finally straighten it out and correct those things that were simply never corrected. And and James Baldwin really wrote a great deal about these things, but he didn't write it in the, in in the in the just matter of fact of uh, nonfiction political sense. Uh, he he wrote it in in fiction, and even his essays always had a lot to do with what was going on in society at at the moment. And and, and I always found that. For a black man uh, living in a society that wasn't inclusive and kept trying to exclude him, he was very inclusive of what he had to write and how he wrote it. And it allowed people like myself to really uh, gain gain some wisdom and gain access to what he was doing. And that's a, a tremendous credit to him. It really is because just like Martin Luther King, I think he made sure that you know, his writing as much as possible had a universal uh, a feeling to it and a universal uh, effect because it's necessary. Um, you can't um, claim all men are brothers and uh, all women are sisters and 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 then just simply writing for one group or, or, or just for one for one cause. It had to be for everybody, and that's what King understood as well that he was. Uh, as much freeing all people as well as he was freeing the black man. And I think uh, James Baldwin understood that as well. Uh, they didn't always shame the same politics, uh, mainly because uh, James Baldwin was very uh, cosmopolitan. Uh, he was gay. Um, uh, also, um, he, he sided more with socialism than he did with democracy because he just thought, I guess, he, that would be more equal. It was very common back in those days for... For uh, for artists to be uh, involved in some form of socialism, believing that somehow that's that was more fairer, but it really wasn't because, unfortunately, most socialisms that were out there had a, had a real corruption to them and, and really didn't pan out to what they claimed they could. But um, I think many of these writers either died or didn't see that, and you know, afterwards the results of many of those, you know, the Soviet Union onward. Cuba right now still the same the same nonsense. If it wasn't for tourism dollars, that the, the country would have flamed out a long time ago. So as you can see, it doesn't work. 
But I understand why they did that, especially since many of them had a deep abiding uh, a sense of, of equality and, and, and freedom, and, and they really felt that those things would come from socialism. They just don't, unfortunately. I always also find um, James Baldwin very interesting in, in the sense that um, he was one of the first to write about uh, about homosexuality. Um, he wrote a, a novel called Giovanni's Room in the, in the late 50s. This is well before anything like Stonewall riots or anything like that. So he was really ahead of his time on, on many of these things, especially that. And I think um, other than Baynard Rustin, he was the only other gay person in the whole civil rights movement. There was only like two guys because it was pretty much hostile to that. You know, some say it was pretty much hostile to women as well. And there's probably some case for that as well, too. But uh, those guys, you know, that, 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 that's, a heck, that's one hell of a battle. You know, you got to fight America and you got to fight all these other folks. And, and then you got to fight your own folks in your own movement uh, because you're gay. So it's uh, unusual. So I'm not really surprised uh, that James Baldwin would wind up to simply living the last like 30 years of his life in France. I mean, he traveled back and forth, but still made sense to him. And it made sense to me that why he want to do that. Easier the life over there. They treat you uh, better as a writer and treat you better as a black guy. And, you know, uh, as we know, France doesn't really have a homosexual issue. So uh, I'm sure he had no problem with that as well. So, so it made a great deal of sense to him to live there. I'm not really surprised. I know he hung out a lot with Josephine Baker because, you know, she, she became big there in France and made a huge career there. So I'm not really surprised about that as well. And she was also somebody very much involved in the civil rights movement as much as she was uh, she was able to. I mean, she was very active in the, in the entertainment industry. But James Baldwin is very complex because he was a little bit of everything. You know, I mean, he talked to to Playboy when it came out. He talked to black magazines. He talked to white newspapers. He talked to artistic things. He, man, he was writing stuff for the Paris Review. I mean, he, the Paris Review as well. He was just—he was pretty much everywhere, doing everything you possibly can think of as a writer. Uh, He—he he he wrote a number of plays as a playwright and got those and got those produced. Um, if anyone remembers seeing uh, If Bill Street Can Talk, that was one of his novels that they just made a movie out of in 2018 and won an Academy Award. I mean, glad they finally did that. That was one of his more interesting ones because it really is a Bill Street over in Nashville. And uh, that that's another another excellent and interesting and entertaining type of, of novel because he wasn't always, uh, you know, mega serious. He, he really did have a that southern hospitality and that southern humor and, and kind of a charm to him and that gets what made him such a wonderful host and 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 such a wonderful guest to so many people as that he visited i know he did a big um civil rights tour himself and went to various colleges to talk and um he's one of the first to, to show that there really wasn't a, a competitive edge or a, some hostility between uh, the Malcolm X uh, version of civil rights, which was more individualistic and 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 more about uh, taking on your own personal responsibility and building your own thing and, and owning your own business, versus the Martin Luther King, which was more about trying to get uh, lots of things done uh, in society through the government. Because in the end, they both overlapped each other. You needed those government things to get fixed. Because, uh, quite frankly, if you can't vote as a black man, only the government can fix that. 
It's not like a company can fix that. You can't own your own business and now, now I can vote because I'm black and I own a business. So those things had to get fixed within the government. So I can't really blame Martin Luther King for wanting to be more federally involved and wanting, wanting to be more government oriented in, in some of his prescriptions and some of the things he called to get fixed because they needed to get fixed at that level. No doubt about that. But on the other hand, uh, Malcolm X was right um, that um, there needed to be more of a, a personal accountability for, for the black man in terms of where he's at, where he can go into the future, owning your own business, taking a chance uh, on, on uh, educating your, your, yourself and learning more about history rather than just relying on the, on the public system. And, and, and even uh, having a, a better handle on, on your own religious convictions about, you know, what you feel um, is, is necessary for your beliefs uh, versus just something that your family or somebody passed along. Malcolm X always reminded uh, the black man, and it still reminds me too because it's a deep concept, that um, how can you be sure about a religion that was passed on to you pretty much by the people that used to own you? I mean, is there something corrupt in that? Can you take something positive from that? Can you make that into your own release belief systems because you still believe in that in that God? Or, or is there something wrong and maybe you should look into something else, which is what Malcolm X had talked about. It's not an invalid way of looking at things. It might be very controversial, maybe even to this day. But it, may, it always made sense to me for, for James Baldwin to talk about all those things simultaneously. You know, the, uh, the, the, the repair and the recovery and the responsibility of, of, of government remedy to some of these issues uh, that, that were harming uh, black people. And, and of course, uh, what the individual still needed to do to, to have a bright future. So I never felt they were in competition. I just felt they were on different paths trying to go in the, in the same direction, just on different paths. And they were both that much important. And, and without trying to sound too grim, um, in many ways, history shows how important these men were, because both of them were assassinated. And you know, and quite frankly, people don't assassinate folks that have nothing to say. <laughs> they fascinate. They kill people who have something to say that they really make sense. That that can harm the status quo. That that can change things that people don't want to be changed. So. It is a strange evidence that both of them were assassinated because they both had some really important things to say that can really change society and change the, you know, the destiny of of the black person. So he was right about that, James Baldwin. He really had a, a real good finger on that, and I always found him interesting in that movement with his writings because he always seemed to be less ideological than many others were. You know, he always seemed to think, seem things more factually. I always felt he seemed uh, to check out things that were less um, emotional. You know, he was just pretty much on the money with things, trying to use reason. And, and sometimes, of course, uh, logic, a bit of history, some, some literature. It was a really good ball of wax that he used to, to, to help convince people uh, through his writing style, through his voice, you know, of the, the validity and, and the vision of civil rights and how it wasn't just about fixing a black guy's problem it was about fixing something that was harming america uh that 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 division and and that that hole in in our society's heart that needed to get you know mended so that we can move forward and and live the dream that our bill of rights and our constitution allowed us to have that all can do that so 
what a what a wonderful writer that he was able to mend the the, the literature with 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 the goings on of, of his day and have an impact. And that really makes him uh, to me extra special. He he's he's right up there, in my opinion, with with uh, with Huxley and with Orwell in, in the sense that. You know, he uses writing to have a real social impact, and that's exactly what, what happens. He really did have an impact. And he didn't even write as much, as many books as some of these other writers did. But he, he wrote enough to have such an impact that we, we talk about him to this day, because he really has a, a, a stirring. If you read his essays, especially The, the Fire Next Time, it, it's some of the finest stuff that I've ever written, no matter what subject it was. I mean, the, the essays are this pure... Rhythm had that, that that southern effects to them. They were they're in many ways uh, artistic and, and and beautiful. Sometimes they can they can they can upset you on the things that he had to bring up for you to understand where he was coming from. And other times they were heartbreaking about you know uh, people just being hung for for no good reason other than you know what they look like. So some some beautiful stuff from from one an incredible writer. Let's talk a little bit about. The kind of impact he had, just just in literature. Okay, um, the, one of the good things about, I believe, uh, during the civil rights movement, especially when he started writing, was is that many of the artistic um, magazines and they, they they embraced him. You know, and and I, you, you mark these words over here. This might sound wacky to you, but uh, Hugh Hefner never gets enough credit. They always think about just him and, and naked pictures of women. He's running around a bathrobe and and and, and, and a, uh, a pipe, and he's just some 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 rich uh, weirdo. But he wasn't. That guy was very interesting in terms of he was a good writer himself. Hell of a layout for his magazine. He he published very important interviews with all kinds of interesting people. And Hugh Hefner was above and, and beyond anybody on the women's rights movement, gay rights movement, civil rights movement, human rights movement. I don't even think there was a movement left that this guy wasn't in advance of already. Hugh Hefner. He just never gets the credit. Maybe one day when they do a film about him, we'll, we'll, we'll hear more about that. But... He was one hell of an intellectual, Hugh Hefner, and he 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 did a good job of making sure that um, you know James Baldwin was treated with respect, and he published him and, and took what he was doing seriously because he was a serious writer, and and the artistic community really did uh, did give him a, a a good jolt to help him out, and so did the publishers and the, and the newspapers. He's one of the few uh, black writers that really was able to take off. I mean, there were a number of them, but. In, in, in the sense of uh, Ralph Ellison doing the Invisible Man, an incredible novel about a you know black man feeling he's invisible in society, even though that was a poignant book and a powerful book, it still didn't get the kind of press that James Baldwin did. Ne neither did uh, Richard Wright, maybe just because of his communism and and and, and the fact that he he did hold those beliefs and he was kind of outspoken, but nevertheless, Native Son was still a powerful book, but. James Baldwin had had just the gift of everything. He had the gift of the southern charm and the wit, and he had uh, he had the manners of of an intellectual, reasonable person. In interviews, he just simply wasn't one of those people shouting things off the roof. And I think it really played in there to 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 his part to to be that that poetical, intellectual, 
you know, and in many ways, even though he wasn't that religious, he's still a very spiritual kind of guy. And I think people really, really clung to that. And I think he really was able to use that to his advantage because he's really head and shoulders above many of the other black writers of his time, or even, even afterwards. I mean, it really wasn't until, um, uh, I think it's uh, Alex Haley. I think it wasn't until the, the black writer Alex Haley um, completed the autobiography of, of Malcolm X, helped him write that, and then did Roots, which, you know, got huge with the, with the whole movie series, that we've really seen a black writer that, that sort of eclipsed uh, the fame of Jay's Baldwin there for a while because, I mean, he was, he was the guy for like, psh, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 years straight. I mean, that was, that was the guy you, you, you wrote about, you talked about, you heard about. I remember being in school and, and the teachers talking about him. And, and and there wasn't too many writers they were talking about who who were black. There was only a handful, and he was definitely one of them because he was just simply the most most popular, and maybe just in many ways the most mainstream and the most commercial. That's just the way it worked out. I know he didn't purposely try to do that because he wasn't that kind of writer. Because if you read his books, you'll you'll see he never really soft pedaled anything. You know, I mean, he was artistic and intellectual about it. But uh, he was always straight shooting about it or anything. He wasn't like, you know, well, they'll get around to giving us freedom one day. Don't worry about it. <laughs> you know, he was like, I right, this needs to be done right now, maybe yesterday. I mean, so he was, he was right on the money with that. But his appeal really helped, I think, sell his books, you know, sell who he was, certainly helped sell his ideas that, you know, it wasn't unusual to be gay. It wasn't unusual to be black. And, and, and of course, it wasn't unusual to be writer talking about these things. I mean, he, he made it to be, you know, normal and, and, and justified and, 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 and dignified, really. And that's probably the best word for all of it. He brought an enormous amount of dignity to, to the causes of uh, civil rights and gay rights, writing in general. Because remember, he's still a, a, a great writer to me above all else. But... I would never deny uh, the social impact he had because he deliberately tried to do that. He got involved. He went out on the marches, on the speaking tours. He he did a great deal. He just didn't sit around and you know cash checks and you know smoke cigarettes all day. So that that's this. I'm always in, in awe of him because he's one of the real one of the real writers that I can uh, as as somebody who's not black. Really, really start to understand and get involved in and, and, and learn from in all different aspects and, and, and really and really take something from it, you know, other than just, uh, yeah, I read a black writer and now I know something about the black experience. You know, if you read enough of it, you'll know a great thing about him and and, and even a life in America during then because his his viewpoints and, and, and his observations were, were, were really vital. I mean, it, to, to not have those would, would mean that you, you're not seeing all of that was going on in America during that time. So it, to me, it, it's always been a, a real, a real a privilege to, to, to know something about that time because I, I read what he had to say and, and, took, it, and took it seriously. Uh, James Baldwin. What, what, what a writer. Next, of course, is... I always liked how he he had such an interesting appeal from the from the entertainment sector. I mean, 
I understand that Harry Belafonte and Sidney Poitier being interested in it because they were very much involved in the civil rights movements. Both of them are entertainers. You know, the, the, the one, Harry, uh, doing the, uh, the Calypso and all the musical stuff. And, of course, Sidney Poitier being uh, uh, an actor, which I believe he was the, the first uh, black man to win an Oscar you know, in, in the motion pictures. So um, they were both involved in that movement seriously, and of course they really took him seriously, and he made it interesting to them. And remember, they all knew he was gay, because he wasn't, he wasn't in the closet. That guy was open. He just didn't care about it. He's like, yeah, I'm gay. You know, I always find it so incredible Mal Miles Davis, what he had to say about him, because Miles Davis absolutely loved this guy. He loved his spirit, he loved his stories, he loved his hospitality, and he knew he was gay. And, and and Miles Davis probably wasn't the most, uh, you know, uh, accepting of uh, of many people. He he was kind of a rigid fellow, you know. I mean, he he hard life, but genius as, as a jazz uh, trumpet, and, and he really loved James Baldwin. So this shows you the kind of appeal that this man had that he could even reach people with the with the toughest hearts, with the most difficult, you know, to get through to, to the skin of that person, and, and and still and still meet him. You know, soul to soul and, and, and man to man without all that other nonsense getting away. That makes him so special, in my opinion, because uh, Miles Davis, you could probably count on the hand how many people he really did get along with. And, uh, and um, James Baldwin was one of them. You know, I'm not surprised at him hanging out with Lorraine Hainsbury, the one that did the playwright that did the uh, Raising in the Sun, because, you know, he liked playwrights whenever he could. I know he he was uh, he he, uh, he dealt with a lot of uh, French playwrights. Some of them helped him to uh, to translate and, and produce uh, the Amen Corner that he wrote uh, in France and, and and have it produced in France. So that that's always a, an exciting and, and, and a great thing. Uh, he hung out with a lot of journalists too. I mean, he understood the power of journalism back then. The newspapers had much of a bigger effect than they did now, maybe because they were uh, journalists were, were a lot more honest and, and took their job more serious than they do today. And uh, I know he talked to a great deal of them, and they always found him to be incredibly, you know, informative and intellectual. Remember, he was traveled; he was well traveled for the country and you know a bit of the world, so he, he knew what was going on and. Uh, just wasn't you know in one place that's another uh, sort of uh, avenue of his intellectuality was 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 his travel was his willing to talk to all kinds of people from all kinds of various walks of life i always found that very very fascinated about him as well he knew uh, uh martin luther king well unfortunately and, and i don't mean to to knock martin luther king but you know the truth is the truth um, Martin Luther King uh, wind up sort of listening to the pressure of many people in, in the civil rights movements and eventually disassociated himself from James Baldwin. You know, towards the end there, and they had the big speeches and everything, they didn't even invite him to have the speech with him. He just, he just went with the pressure of everything on that. It's unfortunate, but that's what happened. You know, I always find that unusual uh, on what people bend to, because you just never know what's going to be. I mean, because... King didn't didn't bend to what President Johnson wants on him trying to tell him about stop talking about the Vietnam War, leave it alone, and I helped you with the civil rights movement, I helped him with Vietnam. King didn't care about that. He kept talking about that as a stupid war, and, and, and in many ways uh, kind of racist because, uh, you know, sending all kinds of people in the draft, and many of the, the black soldiers couldn't get the furrows, so, or the ferments, so they, they were going. You know, and it's kind of strange uh, dying uh, for a country that still haven't figured out how to accept you at, and you're, and you're dying for it in some other land you don't know anything about. 
So King was right about that. Uh, unfortunately, he was wrong about disassociating himself from people that just wasn't considered, you know, in the in crowd or, you know, considered, uh, you know, moral enough or Christian enough. I don't know. It's just we all have our faults, and you know, King had his. Doesn't doesn't make him less of a great man and a Nobel Prize winner and a really great writer, actually. But that's what happened. So I know that was a sad point for for Baldwin because. You know, he was working hard on that, but, you know, I think he took it in his stride because he understood the bigger picture about trying to get that uh, civil rights done and, and, and people's liberties restored and, and, and having the dream back on the track for America, for everyone. So he, I think he understood that. It made him a, a much bigger man than, than, than many people would have realized. And, and I really think that if King lived long enough, maybe he might have recanted all that nonsense and, you know, rekindled his his association and his friendship with him as years went by. But, you know, there's so many different political pressures back then about what people do. And I'm not making excuses for for King, but I can imagine what he had to figure out to do the trade-offs on to get things done. You got to talk with all these different entities, all these different organizations, government, churches, everything else, and... You know, sometimes you just have to make a sacrifice, and that's just the one he made, unfortunately. But uh, for whatever reason, that's what he felt he had to do. Let's talk a little bit about uh, James Baldwin himself. Like many writers uh, who live complex lives, uh, and particularly when you're, you're black, you're gay, you're in the civil rights, <laughs> you're dealing with all this stuff simultaneously, um, he, he dealt with lots of bouts of depression. Uh, James Baldwin, thankfully, wasn't one of those uh, writers or creative people that was full of drugs or alcohol, but I know he did, did his, definitely his share of drinking. Um, but he wasn't an alcoholic or anything like that. But I, I know he had a great deal of, of problems with uh, social relationships and uh, romantic relationships. And uh, I, think, I think it really had an effect on, on him. And so in many ways is... And, and this is not that unusual for, for, for especially artistic people. Super outgoing guy, always the host, and 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 pretty much having all kinds of various you know soirees and, and parties with all kinds of interesting artistic and political or literary people, you know. And at the end of the day, when you close the door, it, it's just you and the, you know, and and a bottle of wine because there's nobody else there. And that's pretty much the kind of life he lived for a long time. You know, he just didn't really have that many people in, the, in his life in that kind of way. You know, and that made it uh, obviously a very uh, sad and, and, and lonely existence. But, you know, he, he lived to a, a good age, died in 1987 in France, you know. And um, I found it I found it interesting, uh, although that as, as charming as it was and as jovial it was, because even though he's a serious guy, he's still, still not a cracker joke and he still was considered a, a humorous, uh, you know, intellectual that, you know, he had that, I mean, because, you know, he wasn't closeted as a gay man, but he almost had a, like a closeted loneliness to him that he, he kept to himself. It wasn't anything that he broadcast, but those that were close enough to him, I think they, I think they knew that. And uh, I don't know what that does to your health or how that affects you down the line, you know, but uh, it, it probably has some kind of, a, of an impact, I, I would say. Um, it didn't seem to have that much of an impact on his writing, and he was always a very busy man. I remember reading, um, he'd be in his house in, in, in France, 
and uh, he got an enormous amount of correspondence from people, you know, fans of his books and, you know, various people wanting him to help with charities or artistic events or, or submit articles or, you know, all of that. And um, so we try to keep busy and I'm sure that, you know, and, and without putting too much of a fine point on it, you know, the work you know, probably kept him going and kept him alive and kept him as chipper as possible under those circumstances. But, you know, I'm a human just like he's a human, so I can just imagine being alone a lot. I mean, I'm not one of those people that, you know, dwell on that as much because sometimes I like being alone. I mean, I, I never really had a, a thing against it. Some people do. Sometimes uh, it's it, it, the natural state of a writer is to, to have a certain loneliness or be able to, to abide with with loneliness at, you know, at periods in, in your, in your life and just get used to it. And sometimes even like appreciate it, especially when you have a family and kids running around screaming, you're like, God, what well, was it great when I had that, uh, that room alone in Germany, smoking a cigarette, no one over there bothering me. So, um, I guess I can appreciate that. And, uh, and it kept him going. I'm glad that he was, he kept busy in, in many ways. And, and I'm sure that really extended, you know, his mind and his health and, and his writing and, and, and certainly his, uh, his heart and things. But, um, for, I, I would think if you were to measure the man in terms of the, being a, the most human of writers out there, probably in the last 50, 60 years, it, it James Baldwin would come right up there to me as being one of those people that, they simply were out there trying to do everything, you know, everything possible, you know, to, to improve the world. Even though, you know, this is a man that in many ways didn't really find the happiness that he would have wanted to find as a man or as a, as a human being. He was still trying to make the world better. To me, that's the ultimate definition of a hero is to do things that in many ways are counter to your interests. Maybe they counter to your interests and emotionally or physically, psychologically. But that's what he was doing. I'm going to make a better world for you, even though in many ways it kind of sucks for me. That's James Baldwin in a nutshell. And that makes him a, a, a true hero, you know, in my book. And, and someone that we need to take seriously for, for a, a long, long time to come. Not just because we're still not the point of, of having all the equality of all the answers uh, for, for racial issues, uh, even in the year 2019. Fine. I know we haven't. I know we're still working on it in our own, in our own path. Maybe it's not even possible in, in, in our type of society. I'm not for sure. I, I do know that as long as people keep working on it, at least it keeps the hope alive that that can continue forward. It's when people stop working on it that, that you have a problem. The next thing you know, everybody wants to have the, the same school with the same people in it, all black, all white, all female, all male, blah, all that nonsense that makes no sense. Things should be diversified and things should be should be spread out. It shouldn't all be con consolidated that way. That, that To me, that's a version backwards, not, not forwards. And that's something that he would never have have wanted so hopefully we're starting to learn that that's that's sort of silly and and, and move forward like, like he wanted us to because in many ways you know we are standing on literary and otherwise on on that man's on that man's shoulders we get to see you know a, a better future because of, of the things that he did 
or the things that he was trying to do and of course trying to expose to us and, and try to remind us about and that's where I always find him so interesting because when you think about it and you read some of the writings from Martin Luther King, you, you feel the spiritual power of some of the things he had to say. And oftentimes he can mix in the parable of Christ with some interesting, uh, you know, story that from down the south and, and, and kind of get you that way. But you don't really feel, in, in my in my opinion, when you, when you read King's work, you don't really feel the human impact to that. You, you feel... The, the in many ways the, the spiritual impact and then you, when you when you read Malcolm X you, you're reading something that that tinges on anger regardless of how logical it is regardless how often truthful it is it has that notion and, and, and that element of anger and you're not always sure how much you want to buy into that but when you read James Baldwin you're reading something that to me is essentially human always human no matter how charming he might want to be, no matter how impressing he might want to be, no matter how humorous he might want to be. He always is very human in his writing, reminding you, reminding himself, reminding all of us about how we're in the same boat. How we're waking up in the morning and dealing ultimately with some of the same issues. And he's not trying to say that in the, uh, the kumbaya come to Jesus, Hallmark type stuff. I mean, he's just trying to say that in just the most factual way possible. That it's really difficult for you to make the case that you're better than me when you're just as human as me. And it's ultimately his logic that makes the most sense. I really think that even the most bigoted person, if they were to start to look at that and examine it more carefully, maybe even put it to the test, it, it could possibly change their minds because that's how I felt that's how persuasive he was. He was just that human. He wasn't spending too much energy trying to over-intellectualize something or over-spiritualize something. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those approaches because th there isn't. If that's where you're coming from, is that where your core is, you got to be who you are. But who he was was ultimately the most human of them all. And that makes, I mean, that makes him to be the most, uh, in my opinion, the most fascinating writer that's come along in, in, in probably a hundred years, you know, in, in, uh, in the American canon of writing. I mean, there really isn't too many like him. You'd have to go back really far out there, like Stephen Crane or, you know, I mean, uh, Hawthorne. We're talking about like uh, almost like 200 years, <laughs> you know, to, to, to get to somebody that's this incredibly human that way. And... I'm so happy that, um, you know, he was alive in my lifetime and that we have so much access to everything that he's done. And uh, even uh, the articles and everything else has been collected together. You, you really get a, an enormous picture uh, of, of a great writer and ultimately a, a great citizen uh, for a great country that never really understood or appreciated him. But I believe as the time is, it will pass. It, it will. One day we'll have a, a really fascinating movie about that man. And you really get to see a, a lot of interesting things about what he said, what he did, and, and who he was, some of the things he, he went through. But we'll, we'll find somebody that we, we should be deeply proud of. And, and also, uh, we might learn to be deeply ashamed that you know he had to live his life outside the country because he felt more free there, even though 
you know, he is our native son and he's one of our writers and, and our citizens and, and he should be one of our friends. Until next time, folks. God bless you. It's a strength to be human. Mark Anthony Rossi. Thank you for listening. Please follow the show and visit our blog at strengthtobehuman.blogspot.com. Dot com.